I really wish you could have been with us in the room when we recorded this story together. As you're going to hear, there were many, many tears from both of us, but there was also a joy in the healing that I hope you hear as well. Trisha is one in a million, and it was so refreshing to talk with her. She expands the reach of our podcast audience to those that might be separated from their loss by years and decades. She spoke to the importance of speaking out about your grief, even if others look down on you for being so vulnerable and honest about the loss. I hope you feel the same healing I received in talking with her. She had just the most wonderful listening ear to hear about my own loss um, when we talked together, even after we stopped recording. I hope you feel you can reach out to her as well with any questions or just to know you're not alone. So let's jump right into her story. Hi, and welcome to Motherhood Off the Rails. I am your host, Jolene, and today I am so excited to have another in-person guest with us today. This is my friend, Trisha, and we um, have many connections. Her amazing daughter was my right hand aid while we worked at a school together. Um, she went to high school with my dad. We went to the same church. So lots of connections. I'm, but I'm so excited to have her here today to share this story that I know is deeply personal, um, like so many others that have been shared in this community. So we are going to jump right into her story. Welcome, um, Trisha. We're so glad to have you here today. So glad to be here and find out what this is all about. Yeah. Why don't you share with our community a little bit about yourself? Uh, I am a grandmother to six. Uh, I have three living children, one um, deceased. I am not working right now, but I have worked through the years, mainly doing the healthcare field. I never got my RN, but registered nurse. I never finished that, but I always worked in the healthcare field. Until I begat motherhood. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a whole job in itself. Um, the same question we start with everybody. Where would you say your dreams of motherhood really began? That is such an interesting question because I can't remember a time when I didn't want to be a mother. So it's it's been in me all along and it was there when I was young. I My dolls were the best cared for, the best loved. It's just always been in my heart. I love that so much and that has been the experience of so many moms that we've talked to. It's just a natural outflow of either the way they were raised or the opposite of the way they were raised and they just want to be moms. It's all that they could ever dream of. So welcome to that part of that community. Um, We there is always a point in those dreams of motherhood where there's a discussion with your spouse and how many kids, when do we want to have kids? So what did that look like for you? Well, my husband was a tad younger than me, so um, he wasn't gung-ho on lots of kids, but I always know knew I at least wanted two. My dreams were a boy and a girl, in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, God had other plans, had a few more than that, but that's okay. <laughs> The main question that kind of gets the ball rolling um, to start your story is, where did you feel your dreams of motherhood really go off the rails? Well, probably when my son died, because I, I, I just didn't know 
who I was, what I was going to do, what was happening, and it was during the, not during the funeral, but during that morning time that I even found out I was pregnant again, so I knew God had a path, and I just had to wait there and see what it was. I kind of got off to a rocky start. Um, I had a tubal pregnancy, and I didn't even see that listed as something in today's things. I think it might be called something else, but anyway, the baby formed outside in the, the tube, so I ended up having to have that dismissed, or um, I don't even know what you call it, but anyway, it didn't make it, and I think in that same year, I had a miscarriage, mm. so I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not sure what's happening with my body here, had to accept that it might not be in the cards for me, but then um, I think the following year, I got pregnant with uh, my son, and all of that went smoothly for the most part, um, while he was in womb. I didn't have any problems per se with him, but when he got about, or when I got about seven months, I had a military doctor, so, because my husband was in the Navy. I don't recommend that, but anyway, <laughs> for me, that wasn't good. I kept asking him questions like, because I was a first-time mom, I didn't know, I knew what you were supposed to feel, but I kept asking him, I was like, shouldn't I be feeling movement or more movement or something? And they didn't do ultrasounds back then, not unless it was requested. So I just went with the doctor telling him, oh, his heart rate's fine. So that was that. And he did do good. I mean, I didn't have any problems during the nine months um, until he was born. So um, I had a good pregnancy the first time. And like I said, there weren't any obvious signs or symptoms of anything wrong other than I thought the baby should be moving more at eight and nine months and then we went into uh, labor my water broke at home and we got to the hospital and it was a long delivery and I've been told it shouldn't have lasted that long uh, they should have intervened but um, finally I did deliver I had a 29 and a half hour labor for my very first mm -hmm. <laughs> which come to find out later on that was too long. It would it hurt me and the baby. But anyway, um, and then I had the baby boy, and he was born with bright red hair, Aww. like my granddaughter. <laughs> but anyway, um, things were going okay. I was sleeping during the night right after he was born, the first night, and um, I had chosen to breastfeed, but they were seeing some signs of something a little bit wrong with the baby, which they did not share with me right away. But then a nurse came in and talked to me about maybe doing bottle feeding. And I said, well, I had my heart set on breastfeeding. And at that point, we didn't know anything that was going on. So anyway, um, I kept hearing babies cry, but it sounded like my baby. They say, you know, your babies cry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I went into the nursery and I was like, well, I said, okay. It was like, I don't know, maybe two in the morning. And they came in, or I went in there, and I said, you know what? I said, I keep hearing him cry. Why don't we just try a bottle? So they set me up, and I they gave me a bottle. And um, he did take some drinks out of the bottle, but I did that for maybe half an hour, and then we put him back to bed, and I went back into my room. At about 5 o'clock in the morning, they come rushing into my room and they said miss stevenson there's something wrong with your baby's heart we're taking him up to surgery right away they didn't give me time to process it or anything i said wait i need to call my husband and they said there's no time for that so they took him on up i didn't even get to see him before they took him up 
So I called my husband, and he got over there as quick as he can. And um, actually, I take that back. They weren't taking him up to surgery. They were taking him up to the NICU. Because mm. back then, you had to go to the NICU from the hospital. You couldn't leave the hospital and come back in and go to NICU. Mm, <laughs> so anyway, okay. they took him up there, and uh, the cardiologist was seeing him. And uh, they didn't come back and talk to us until about, I want to say, eight or nine. And that was a very, very scary time because you don't mm. know what's going on. You don't even know where your baby is in the hospital, except they tell you what floor or whatever. But um, at that point, we found out he had a uh, very bad heart. Uh, mm. Basically, they said nothing in his heart had formed correctly. So um, they were going to do a surgery to try to save him. And one thing I am grateful for, and this may sound cold, it may sound harsh, but that cardiologist, that baby doctor, was totally honest with us. And he mm. did not expect our baby to make it at all. So I was thankful to him for that because it'd be bad to get your hopes up and then something happened. He he does not do that. but um, And that was something I'm grateful for, at the, you know, after the fact. Mm -hmm. But anyway... Um, we found out that he had a bad heart. He had what we call um, transposition of the great vessels. So basically his great vessels were transversed and he wasn't getting oxygenated blood. Mm. And plus he had like several holes in his heart, but a couple of those actually helped him. <laughs> but anyway, they did do the surgery. He did survive the surgery. It didn't look good for about the first 48 hours. And... Um, that was at a point where I dropped to my knees and I said, Lord, if you're going to take him, take him now. I said, I'm ready now. But he got better and better. He stayed in there about three months because we decided that uh, we owned a block of the hospital square floor because he'd been in there so long. <laughs> and the nurses teased us about that. But anyway, we had, a, we had a good crew working up there, and he got better and better, and he got stronger. Um and the day came we got to go home Aww. so that was exciting and of course he went home with a g-tube and a well i left out a part for, he came home the first time with an ng tube which is down the nose mm -hmm. into the um stomach and esophagus and we had to learn we had to stay overnight and stay there and learn how to do that and we did and um he came home that time for about seven days and this is before heart surgery when we went back in after those seven days that's when they actually did the major heart surgery he stayed three months and we got to come home and they told us they said he came home with a g-tube this time which is directly into the stomach and um we had to learn how to take care of all that but um that doctor said you might as well be aware he's probably never going to take a bottle and he couldn't nurse breastfeeding is is too hard on babies that have certain conditions and a heart condition is one of those where it's just they can have other breast milk. You know, you can don't you can pump and donate and all that, which I tried, but I was so stressed out that I just I dried up. But they got to use other people's, and I didn't mind. But when he came home, he came home on special formula, which by the way we got free from the company because of his diagnosis. Wow, because <laughs> it was expensive stuff. But anyway, he came home for three months after three months and they said he'll probably never take a bottle he'll probably never get that g-tube out he'll probably never do this and that and my husband and i brought that baby home and my husband still worked god love his heart i he must have given him the strength of i don't know what because he worked and stayed up and helped take care of that baby because wow. it was a 24 hour a day job but um in three months after him coming home we got that g-tube out and wow. he and we he had to be able to take two ounces out of a bottle at a time 
we got him taking a bottle. <laughs> so we deserved a pat on the back for that. Definitely, yeah. And then um, he was doing better, uh, actually growing, actually learning to sit up and um, doing, you know, all the things babies do, just maybe a little bit more behind. But, um, and I got one of each holiday with him before he died, so that was nice. I was always thankful for that. So like I said, I got one of every holiday with him. That includes a first birthday. Um and my church was very supportive at that time um, as far as him, you know, that he, they prayed and he lived. So um, I had a big party at our church, and we had a good time. Um, it wasn't long after that uh, that we had his birthday party. He was born in January, January uh, 29th, <laughs> dead of winter. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have his party till like... I think it was like February or March because of the winter weather and because um, trying to get the church booked and all that. So we had this big party and, and you know, a lot of people came. And um, he lived about a month after his birthday party. He lived, uh, he went to an alumni with me, which we celebrated <laughs> um, take going to Tennessee where our school was. But um, then when we came home, it was so funny. He was in the back seat, and, and he was um, eight. He was a year old by then, so he still had to have a bottle because of his health issues. And we were driving in the car, and all of a sudden he threw something up front. And I was like looking around, and it was his bottle. And I was like, "Okay, well, <laughs> you're <laughs> done with that, I guess." I guess. We're done with that. <laughs> but anyway, we thought that was so cute. We had a good laugh out of that. Um, and then. Uh, we traveled home. We stayed down there Friday, Saturday, and came home on Sunday. And I was home on Monday when um, he had some issues. Uh, not sure exactly what happened. They don't know what caused it, but he got a, a blood clot that went to his heart. And, um, of course, I was trying to do what I knew to do at home. We called the ambulance, and finally I just opened my apartment door and started screaming somebody help me because I didn't know what else to do and mm. some of my neighbors you know called 911 too and they probably got there I think they said they got there within two to five minutes but to somebody going through that trying yes. to save your son it seems like forever but anyway they came and um we went to the hospital I got to ride up front in the ambulance which they don't normally do mm-hmm. but I didn't have a car at home my husband was at work and I had notified him and um we were driving down the road in Amherst. I was just trying to recite every Bible verse I could think of mm-hmm. and uh, singing songs and plus answering their questions and everything. And uh, every once in a while, I would hear him cry. Um, but when we got to the hospital, they, of course, they took him back there and they were started working on him. And they gave us a little kind of like a a private room you can sit in. It's like maybe they know the outcome. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. a private room. but. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they worked on him for, I think they said 45 minutes, but it it just, that blood clot going to his heart, it just, there wasn't enough time to do anything really, but um, they said I did everything right in trying to get him there, but when that doctor came walking down that hallway, I don't know how to explain it, but I knew in my heart by the way she walked and the look on her face what she was going to say. So I was kind of already prepared. And, of course, they had prepared us all along. I didn't expect him to live at all, and I got a good 14 months out of it. So, But anyway, he died that day on April 6, uh, 1992. He was born in 91. But anyway, um, 
it was rough. And at that point, that day during the funeral, the next few days with the funeral, I was like, okay, God, I don't think I can do this. But it had always been my dream to be a mommy. <laughs> and so I was a little bit over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then, and I don't know about you people out there, but I encourage you to have a relationship with God because that's all that got me through this. And he doesn't let you give up. If it's his dream for you too, he doesn't let you give up. But anyway, it was, I can't remember if it was during the funeral week or shortly thereafter, but it was the same month I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. So God had different plans. So I got to be mommy, and I got to be mommy two more times. I had four children in all, and my three girls were very healthy. Of course, they had to have lots of ultrasounds, yes. which I begged the military doctors to do, but they didn't do that. And then um, their hearts are all fine. They did fine. And now I have six wonderful grandchildren. I mean, life just throws you curves, but it also throws you dreams and happiness. And the best thing in the world to me was being a mommy. That is my, even now, if I'm not working I could go back to doing that. I love my babies. I love children. I have little strangers come up to me and just <laughs> reach their arms up to me or say or sit on my lap. Just yesterday, a little baby came up, didn't know me from Adam at a ballpark, and he goes, hi, with a Aww. big smile, and I said, hi. So I still have that, I don't know what you call it, inner beam inside that little kids can connect to. And I did enjoy motherhood once I got past the difficulties mm-hmm. and I didn't give up I probably would not have given up even though I told God I was done you know I, I might have adopted or something but I God took care of that for me so I want you to make sure you know how proud I am of you for sharing this because as we picked up in the emotion from your voice and I'm tearing up too it's not an easy story to tell even years and years separated from it, speaking it out loud brings those emotions right back like you were there in the moment. So I want you to make sure you know and believe how important your story is and how much it's going to help maybe even just one person. So I want to thank you for sharing it because maybe it's the church culture we grew up in maybe it's just society as a whole but people get uncomfortable when we bring up stories like this especially if they haven't experienced lost and they might not know what to say they might not know how to relate to you or how to respond and so that's one of the goals of this podcast is to break that taboo and say our stories matter these were real losses that we experienced And if it's just one person that can relate to this story, or if it's many more than that, we're going to share because in this community, no matter how big or how small your story is, it matters here. And so I wanted to pause here and just thank you for sharing because as, as we've already seen, it's not easy at all. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Through this entire story, there was obviously so much to process in the midst of it, in the midst of your grief and just trying to figure out what the next steps were. And even 
30 plus years separated from it, there's still a lot to process. So why don't you touch on how it was to process it in the midst of it and how you're processing it now? Well, I think in the midst of it, I was very aware that I was pregnant again. And your emotions, everything you feel, that baby feels, but I needed to grieve. And my way of grieving was talking about it, talking about him. And let me tell you, men deal with grief very differently than women. They clam up, they don't talk. (laughs) But I talked about it with everybody. And here's some word of advice. Don't be afraid to mention a baby's name or whatever. We Mm -hmm. love that. It it carries on their, their memory, their... I mean, there's so many wonderful memories that we still want to share, and, you know, it does us good to remember. But anyway, back to the question. I allowed myself to grieve. Um, Like I said, I was getting bigger and bigger pregnant, and I didn't want my next child, which I got to find out was a girl because they did so many ultrasounds. (laughs) um, I didn't want her to feel all of that on me, so I just had to keep keep giving it to God. I mean, that's all I can say is what got me through it because, I mean, grieving is hard even if you don't have another baby, you know, Mm -hmm. growing inside you or coming next or whatever. So I allowed myself to feel what I needed to feel, but I didn't allow myself to linger in that and become depressed and all of that is what I can say. And now that my children are grown, and I stop and think about it and think about the memories. I allow myself those tears, that grief. Mm-hmm. I allow whatever emotion is coming up in me to to play itself out. Because now, you know, I'm done with all that and I can I can live through it now. Not saying I didn't then, but it's just a different way of doing it now. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned that I learned through this process um, back in the beginning of July is when I first recorded my story and so that I wouldn't be hosting myself, my best friend, she was the host of it. And as I was talking, I didn't or I wasn't able to refer to our miscarriage as the loss of a baby. And my friend stopped me and she said, you know you can call it a baby. You know you can give it a name. And that was such a relief. Uh, We ended up um, bearing our baby, what I passed at six weeks in the backyard. And I I gave it the name Angel because it was just, just like this fluttering moment. And that was just like the first thing that came to me. So thank you for reiterating that and reminding us that No matter whether we lost our baby at, you know, over a year or it was just a tiny fetus at six weeks, it was still a loss. It was still a baby and it was still a dream that we had to let go of, but it will always have that important name to us. So thank you for reminding me of that because sometimes I dismiss it and I look at your stories and so many others and say, oh, mine was just at six weeks. It's, you know, not as important. But what, I ha- what I'm what i reminding myself and so many other women in my same situation that your loss matters. Um, so thank you for reminding me about that. Always. At what point, either during this journey or afterwards, did you get help? Well, for the most part, 
like I said, um, I relied on God. I had a very strong relationship with God. But I had um, I had my sister. Um, I had people I could talk to. I didn't. I didn't go to a grief recovery group or anything like that at the time, um, or anything like that. But I had a I had a support system. People that allowed me to vent. That allowed me to cry. This was probably outside the home because, like I said, my husband, his way of dealing with it was not to deal with it at all. Mm-hmm. Out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, um, and like I said, I relied on close friends that had so much encouraging words. And, you know, they just let me talk about my child and they let me talk about my feelings. And that's where I went. Um, and, of course, you know, I like I said, I spent hours on my knees in prayer and stuff and um you you just have to you have to give it to god there's nowhere else for it to go so you mentioned um as a way to that you got help was talking to your friends and with your family and one of the other questions we always ask is how did this loss and this journey affect your relationships um there were a few people that stopped coming around because they just didn't know what to say. And, and I understand that for mm-hmm. them. Um, but in my church family, um, didn't know how to deal with loss and didn't know how to deal with the loss of a child. They, I hate to say this, but they didn't know how to deal with it. So they just would smile and shake your hand or whatever. They, um, I didn't have a lot of visits from my church family, which I probably could have used, but, um, Outside the church, I still had my belief in God, and I still had my support system in friends and relatives and things like that. Um, but truly, to be honest, the the best thing that got get, got me through it was my personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I just I don't think I would have made it through that without Him. I definitely don't know that I would have had any more children. <laughs> yeah. But then again, that goes to. Motherhood was always my thing, so I may not have given up. I may have kept trying, so, but anyway. You never know. (laughs) Um, Part of this journey is um, the triggers that take you back to that moment and maybe bring up some forms of grief. Um, For example, one of my big ones that I still am struggling with is seeing a very pregnant mom with a toddler the same age as my son because if I hadn't had miscarriage I would be due next month and so seeing that there's a jealousy there's an anger there's a frustration so that was one of mine um what were some triggers that affected you throughout this journey well one thing I would say is I I said back earlier in my story that I always wanted children always want a boy and a girl and I had their names picked out since childhood (laughs) which is weird because I changed my son's name but anyway um seeing siblings you know Mm -hmm. I have three girls now they didn't get to to know their brother but people tell me that they thought they did know him they come up and ask me did they know your son I'm like no he was first and they're like well they talk about him like they know him it's because I talked about him I shared with him but like you know, seeing siblings, you know, that have their brother or whatever, because he would have been the big brother. And mm-hmm. I have pictures in my head of 
you know, what he would have been like to the girls and all that, um, different things like that. And certain songs that mm-hmm. bring back memories, things like that. Um, and I think raising my kids blocked out a lot of, of this, and it's just in recent years started coming out. Mm. Um, and when I say recent years, the reason I say that is because I had my girls and I raised them, and then I, they started having grandchildren, and each one of those grandchildren at some point has lived with me. So mm. I still had kids all along. <laughs> And now they're all grown up, and yeah. the grandkids are, you know, they don't live with me anymore. So a lot of the memories are coming back, but I embrace it. I don't run from it. I just, and some, even some of the memories of living with him, because like I said, I got out of the hospital. We got about nine or ten months. So, I mean, I just enjoy those memories and, and stop right there. I don't go all the way back just mm-hmm. yet, so... I'm still in a healing process. Stories and journeys like this so rarely have a perfect bow of resolution at the end. As you've alluded to, there's still grief that is coming up. How would you say, though, that it resolved? Or if it didn't resolve, kind of where are you now today? I would say it's still resolving. Uh... And, of course, the healing process is a lifetime. But as far as the grief and the moments and things like that, I'd say it's still revolving because when you look back over your life, there are just moments that are going to stick out and and touch you more. And that loss of, you know, not necessarily my firstborn because I had the two when I had the miscarriage, but I had to I had to resolve, you know, when my son died. I had all of those, like, one on top of the other. And um, obviously I wasn't using birth control. But anyway, um, if you want to have a baby, <laughs> that's the way to do it. <laughs> so when I, you know, I got to my son and I carried him for the nine months and I had big dreams and hopes and everything. And um, like I said back then, doctors... I have been told I had a a wonderful lawsuit that I could have sued so many people. But I thought, that isn't going to bring my baby back. Mm -hmm. So they asked me if they could use his body for science and if they could use him in medical journals for, uh, because of the condition of his heart. Because they, you know, they did good. He lived for 14 months. I mean, that's pretty good back then. Mm -hmm. They've come a long way since then. But I did do those things. I said yes to those things. But I didn't. I didn't sue anybody. It, it wasn't going to change the outcome. But I did let them learn from those doctors' mistakes, and that's where ultrasounds have come in. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of ultrasounds. Now I'm not saying do a million of them and you know hurt your baby or anything, but you need to be aware of the problems because if they could have done the ultra, if the he was like, I don't know, 70 years old, that doctor was. And uh, he just kept saying, oh, it's fine, it's fine. They said if he had listened to me, because I was, I was a first-time mom, mm. but I was the mother. Mm. I was supposed to feel the movements. Yeah. And he did move, just not like a normal nine, eight, nine-month-old baby. Mm. I mean, in the womb. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, they said that might have, could have, you know, done the surgery while he was still in utero or they Hmm. could have done more in delivery you know he wouldn't have been born so blue Hmm. they called us the smurf parents we thought that was funny (laughs) but um 
we've come so far in just listening to the woman. And it, I encourage any woman out there, if you have the slightest inkling while you're pregnant that, you, that something is not right, speak up, speak mm-hmm. out, fight for it. Because they don't have your body. All they have is that ultrasound and some of the other little things they use. But <laughs> speak up. Yes. And that is where I am today. Te- telling people to speak up, to not to trust their instincts. And just uh, grieving is a lifetime. That, that's where yeah. I'm at. I'm still evolving through it. Yeah. And there's something oddly beautiful in that because admitting to yourself that grief especially this large is a lifetime process you grow and mature in that grief and yet and somehow that grief helps you hold on to a memory of him too because I think sometimes it's assumed like yes you lost your son but then you had three wonderful daughters and everything was better but you're still allowed to grieve and hold space for the joy that is your, you know, that is and are your three beautiful daughters. And so thank you for that. It's so important to say, yes, I can hold grief for what I lost, but I can also hold space for the joy that comes afterwards. I've seen that time and time again, whether it's a rainbow baby after a miscarriage or like this podcast. If I hadn't have experienced my miscarriage, I wouldn't be able to talk to all these women and create this community. So um, I think it needs to be another tagline of this because I feel like I say it in every episode, what you experienced was not good, but what came out of it and what you learned from it was beautiful. And that kind of leads into our next question there were, I'm sure, many, many, many difficult moments through the journey. Some that might have surprised you that you didn't expect were going to be difficult. Um, and some that were just the most difficult at all. So do you want to share some of those with us? Um, I'm going to share you one of the most recent ones that just happened last week. Um, I got some stuff out of storage and there was some tubs I was going through and my uh, third grandson was over and he he wanted to help me go through them. <laughs> Interesting little boy. But anyway, <laughs> we were going through them, and he pulled out a bag, a Ziploc bag, and uh, he was like, what's this, Grandma? He goes, it looks like a bunch of toys. And Aww. I took it from him, and I looked at them, and they were special toys to my son. And he wanted to play with them, but I told him, I said, not right now. I said, these are special toys from your great uncle Nick, I said, the little boy that grandma lost, I said, maybe some other time. And I didn't realize I had kept them. It's been 32 years, Mm. 31 years, whatever. But anyway, he found those. And the other difficult thing for me was when my first grandson was born, it was, he had to go into the NICU. He had to get Mm. some A little help with oxygen and stuff. He did fine, and he got out of it within 24 or 48 hours. But anyway, that was very scary moments for me. But I wanted to be there for my daughter. And like I said, he did fine, but we got pictures. And looking at those pictures of him in that NICU, it just brought back so many memories and emotions. But then he did good. But I I have a special bond with him. I have a special bond with all of them, but especially him because he was the first boy born Mm. after my son died so 
I kind of connect with him a lot. But I love them all. I have three of them. <laughs> so I love them all dearly. But those are things that are that are happening now. Like I said, unpacking something, maybe looking at a picture of him that just you forgot about that picture or that moment or something. Those are things that are hard now and will continue forever, mm. I guess. And it just reminds us that it's okay that grief is a lifetime journey. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. And so if someone listening to this is in a similar situation and lost a baby, you know, many, many years ago and you're still grieving and maybe people are judging you for that, just know that in this community, your grief is real no matter how recent or in the past it was. I want to say one more thing. For anyone that's going through this, allow yourself those moments that sneak up on you. Just mm-hmm. just feel them and, and go through them and enjoy your memory. Because even if it's a miscarriage, that was a little life you planned on spending your life with. So mm-hmm. just remember it and feel it. A new question that I'm starting to ask everybody is how would you describe your motherhood journey in four words? Most wonderful time ever. Even despite the grief and maybe because of the grief being part of it, it does make it so wonderful. Um, Another question that I've added onto the list is what would you say to your pre-off-the-rails self? So if you could go back to yourself as a young mother dreaming of having that boy and that girl and having the names picked out, what would you say to her? Just enjoy that dream and do what you can to make it real. It may change. It may take on a different picture, but don't give up. I wish science would let us do that because there's (laughs) so many things I would say to myself if I could. Um, we, as we have said again and again, this journey is so up and down and there's good days and there's bad days, but where would you say you are on a scale of one to 10 just today? Today, probably a six or seven, you know, I'm not all the way healed, but I'm past the, the normal grieving part. And now I'm just playing different scenarios in my head what if I had done this what if Mm -hmm. I had done that we're at that point now and that's the part where you got to forgive yourself and I'm still working on that Mm -hmm. because I mean when you do CPR at home on your kid Mm -hmm. your child and they still don't make it that leaves a lot of guilt Mm -hmm. thoughts Mm -hmm. (laughs) moments those uh may take a little longer than you know just normal grieving yeah definitely um throughout this journey what did you what resources um did you find most helpful that you could encourage other women with like I said I had this dream from childhood um of being a mother and I wanted to see it through and I did at times accept the fact that I may have to foster or adopt or they have so many new opportunities that you know we didn't really have back when I was getting pregnant but um do your best to let that dream come true even if it's being the best aunt ever to your nieces and nephews just (laughs) allow yourself to be in that moment for the whatever you are given Mm -hmm. just um 
try not to give up, you know, but keep the options open and let it happen. Yeah. Hope is such a powerful resource that so much of the time seems out of reach. And so reminding us of how important even the smallest glimmer of hope can be is vital for so many of these stories. Um, as we close, I just wanted to thank you so much, Trisha, for coming on here. Um, and like I mentioned off air, um, you are one of a kind in sharing your story because so many others in your situation being so far removed from it, um, maybe wouldn't feel comfortable opening up and being so vulnerable. And so just like I have thanked all of the women that have done this and helped out with this dream, thank you. It has been such a joy to talk to you, even through a story that is so devastating. And I don't want to dismiss that loss and that grief, but seeing how strong you are and seeing the wonderful mother and grandmother that you are now and how you've taken your loss and your story and woven it into the dreams you had of motherhood after you lost your son. That is just so aspiring and so beautiful. And I found it such a comfort to talk to you today. And I know that many others will want to reach out to you and get that motherly advice that so many of them I know um, might be missing in their lives. So would you feel comfortable um, people reaching out to you and how could they do that? Um, yes, they can reach out to me. I don't have a problem with that. Um, I have email. I have Facebook. Of course, you have to make sure I know you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it all in the show notes. We'll make sure people know how but to. But I don't to mind you. at all. I would be happy to talk with anyone and yeah. share my story or listen to their story or whatever. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you're here with us today and um, I can't wait to see who your story reaches. So thank you. Me too.